Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones DDS. We're part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today will be Luke Wyatt. Luke appears on the guest line presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael is a local carpenter and a lifelong Vandy fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, and made-to-order items, including a display case for my prized Dale Murphy jersey. I've seen Michael's work. He's a true craftsman. If you're in the market for custom woodwork, please give Michael a call at 615-830-9458. You can text him there, too. Now on to our interview with Luke Wyatt. Luke White joins us. It is Monday morning. Vanderbilt lost over the weekend to Texas A&M by six points. Miles Studi hit seven three-pointers. Commodores led at half. Had a shot late. Couldn't close. Uh, That seems like that's happened a lot lately. Nice effort, but no win. Luke is here to talk about that and wherever else we go today. Luke, I hope you had a good weekend. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Chris. Good morning. Uh, Did have a good weekend. I uh... I think the A&M game is a microcosm of the season. Uh, you know, every game except for a couple have been single-digit losses or a very close win. Uh, the SEC's that way as well as the non-conference. And, uh, you know, I always look at these as two-game sets. And uh, the Kentucky game, the last six minutes of the first half and the first six minutes of the second half were so poor that uh, you go from being a uh, one, two-point game to being a 20-point game. And, you're not going to recover against the Kentucky when that happens. And then you get to Saturday, and I thought they played well, except for the stretch where we could not even slow them down at getting to the basket, uh, couldn't stop the ball. And then, of course, without Liam or Dort, we had no rim protection, and that got out of hand when they went on that. I don't know what the run was, but probably 14 or 15 and nothing run. Uh, and you just can't have that because then you have to battle tooth and nail just to get back in it which they did uh but then at the end of the game you're forced to make shots and uh we made a couple of bad decisions i thought ezra kind of forced things a couple of times and uh you're saddled with another l so uh it's just i don't know i i think i think that's the way they are without liam and dort and not an excuse because we're in, in year three and a half i call it or it's, not, it's i know it's year four but i i uh, kind of like i did mason uh, or Clark, when they took over for Mason year one, I don't put much stock in one way or the other. Um, but uh, I just feel like that uh, it's going to be this way until those two kids get back. Or if they get back, uh, our chances of winning games are going to come down to the, to the buzzer a lot. Yeah, it's a weird league this year. The SEC is the worst league in the country <laughs> at shooting the three. So of course Miles Stute goes oh. and hits seven, and and they still can't win. Uh, but I'm I'm with you on. I think the Robbins thing is making a big difference. So the good news, and this is not reporting, but there have been some whispers. He's going to be back a lot sooner than people would have thought. And now we we will see how that goes. Sometimes you get to the precipice of being back, and you reaggravate an injury. But if you want some hope, it's that and the fact that there's a very winnable game coming up on Saturday in Nashville against Ole Miss. I don't know that Alabama is going to be very winnable. Tuscaloosa, I could see them keeping it close. But if you're looking for better things, you could be getting some soon. 
the thing that scares me about Bama to, uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever we play, is uh, after they got just absolutely boat raced yeah. and looked disinterested at Oklahoma, which version of Alabama are you going to get? If you get their A game, we have no shot. So, you know, now if they play like they did Saturday, we'll win the game. They were they would have been gotten beaten by South Carolina the way they played Saturday. That was yeah. poor. Very poor. Um, but there, there's a couple things, Chris, if you don't mind, I, I want to point out. This is just food for thought. This is not any defense of Stackhouse. Um, but I just started looking at – I keep watching all of the teams we've played in non-conference. I start looking at, you know, our conference schedule and that type of thing. And I just want to point out a couple of things. Um we have not played any teams that are in the bottom half of their league with the exception of Fresno State. They're the sixth team South in the Carolina. West. No, I'm talking about in, in – Oh, out of conference. Okay. Yeah, in non Okay, American Athletic, two of the top three teams, and we split with that. In the ACC, two of the top five, split with that. Um, the Atlantic 10, we played the number one team and lost. The OVC, the number one team and won. The SOCON, the number four team, and one. The SWAC, the number two and the number five team, and split. The Sun Belt, number one team. The West Coast Conference, number one team. The Southland Conference, number one team. And they only only played two teams that have a losing record in Fresno State and Alabama A&M. All the rest of them have winning records. A total of 184 wins and 97 losses for an average record of 14-7. and seven. I looked it up and compared it to the rest of the league. It's the second toughest schedule at non-conference in the league, which surprised you mean by, me. by wins and losses. Yeah, by wins and losses. Uh, the only team in the league that plays Kentucky, Tennessee, and Alabama twice. No one else in the league has that. No one. And, uh, and I pointed this out before. For instance, Tennessee, who probably is the best team, they were Alabama. Uh, they get to play Alabama and Arkansas once, and they basically get to play them both at home. So, that, you know, the balance of the schedule is against us. There's a lot of things against us. But I'm giving that food for thought to say, if you go 9-9 with that, not that they're going to go 9-9 because they're probably going to have to go 6-3 in the second half if that's the case. But to, to, if you go 9-9, it'd be, tough, it'd be a tough sale to get rid of Stackhouse. Uh, I, even though the ancillary stuff and uh, the writing's kind of on the wall, I think – Jerry, and this is just an opinion. I don't have any knowledge of anything. Uh, win or lose this season, uh, if next year turns out to be a good year, for whatever reason, I think Jerry will leave at the first opportunity because I don't think his experience here has been happy. Okay. Uh, That's a lot. Ranking. To take in, but, well, uh, here's, here's the I issue as I fair. see it. Line up. And I wish this would let you sort, and it doesn't. Um, okay, losses and rankings in Ken Palm. Memphis, 36. Southern Miss, 96. St. Mary, 7. VCU, 78. Grambling State, 219. NC State, 52. Missouri, 51. Tennessee, 1. Alabama, 5. Kentucky, 34. Texas A&M, 41. So basically, if you wanted to, to generally draw a pattern, and best wins would be 67 in Ken Palm, Arkansas 21 in Ken Palm. Basically, they are – let's just do this, okay? Let's let's take the best win, which is Arkansas, and the worst loss, which is Grambling, and just have those cancel each other out. 
basically what this is showing me is they are pretty consistently losing to NIT level teams and beating everybody else. If you want to go a step further, you can take Southern Miss is the second worst loss, cancel out the second best win, which would be Pitt. Um, and, and then you completely have a middle ground that fits that, if it makes sense. I'm not suggesting that that's the right way to interpret it, but I don't know that it's that far off. Well, you know, for, for weeks, I thought Southern Miss is a horrible loss, and, but they're sitting here it's 19 not. fold. It's it's not horrible. No. It's I mean, it's one that you should win at home, and it's one they should have been more prepared for. But I mean, yeah, right. they're not they're not the awful team that everybody thought they would be. Right. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a food. It's just food for thought for people to think about whenever you start condemning it that it's a hundred percent awful. It, it, it's really not. And, and and if we get to eight wins, that means incrementally. He's won more games each year because the first year was three and uh, 15. Second year was three, and we had some games canceled, I guess. But then you got to uh, seven last year and uh, a good finish in NIT. So I'm just, I want, if if you're going to, if we're going to criticize someone, which which he deserves a lot of the criticism, especially non basketball criticism. Yeah. And you have to look at the entire picture. Yeah. Entire picture. One one hundred percent. It what it is is he has put himself with the first three and a half years, which he sealed his fate the way he recruited or didn't recruit the first two years. Uh, and I said it at the time, and I got just all kinds of criticism for it. But if you were paying attention, you knew that was coming, and it's it's rare to tell. Now I think he has done a good job coaching what he has, um, but right. it, it's the what he has that that's that's on him too. Um, I would put it this way. I don't think, and you tell me if I'm wrong, the fan base was was pretty much on the fence about him. And it's one out of a hundred and some odd games that he's coached here now. I don't know that I have ever seen fan base flip its opinion of a coach on one game the way it did because he lost to Grambling. I think that most fans were in favor of him still coaching here or ballpark of okay with it. At that point, it literally flipped to almost 90-10 overnight. Well, if you remember, that was my biggest criticism the entire year, and it still is. That's yeah. one that there's – but you should lose. You know, the SEC, I think, is only like one other team has lost to a SWAC team. I don't and, – and nothing against the SWAC, but it's just the fact that the quality of basketball, when you play those teams – I don't think it's home, any other team has lost to a SWAC team. No, oh, no. Grambling right. did beat Colorado, which beat Tennessee. Right. But, right. I, I, yeah, there's no excuse to lose at home to them. I don't care if you're playing them in front of zero people. You know, there's some games – like when we play certain teams and they have more fans than us, like Kentucky, or, and although that was not a great Kentucky showing the other night as far as their fan base, I didn't think, not like normal, because it was during the week. Uh, I think that uh, losing to Grambling is inexcusable. I don't care. You you you, you should beat them 10 out of 10 times in Memorial Gym. 
Well, you opened my eyes to this, and I'll let you go or not go where you want to go. But we were having some conversations pre-podcast, and you brought up some pretty remarkable and alarming similarities between he and Sam Newton. I think Sam Newton went six or seven years before he had his first winning season in the league. Is that right? Yeah, I think it was uh, year six when they went. I don't know this. Obviously, Will Purdue can tell you everything about it, but I think it was year six. And, And Sam would tell you that he didn't enjoy recruiting. He did not. You know, there was one year that the only player he recruited was a guy named David Etheridge. Oh, his recruiting being, was awful from what I remember from being a kid. He he did his best work was recruiting kids out of Kentucky that were that he had connections to that were borderline didn't Kentucky either didn't want them or missed on them like Phil Cox, Barry Goheen, Frank Cornett, Scott Droud, people like that that for some for whatever reason I, I shouldn't say Phil Cox he wasn't there for maybe he was I can't remember anyway. I just named three or four that he got because Kentucky didn't want them. Right. And they were great players. They were really good players. Kentucky missed on them. They could play for Kentucky. If the internet and Twitter had been around three or four years into his tenure, I, I don't know that CM Newton would have made it. He might have. Now, I think the difference between CM and, and Stack, and, and Stack can be very likable, don't get me wrong, but everybody's seen the stuff with Twitter and, you know, the – This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster. So go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. The treatment of officials and a lot of stuff like that, the personalities and the ability to endear themselves to the fan base were quite different. No, no, no question. And don't get me wrong. I love seeing him. I thought he was great. I liked him as a person. He was always great with me. Uh, but I just, I, I do know that his least favorite part of the job and probably is if a lot of coaches tell you the truth is, is having to uh, tell 16, 17, 18 year olds how great they are. Yeah. Well, and I have little doubt that that's stacks least favorite part of the job either, but when you're getting paid, what, three and a half million a year, it just, yeah, it comes with yeah, no sort of assume that there's a certain level of effort that goes <laughs> into it. Right. Um, I would I would recruit for three and a half million, even though I don't know that I'd like it either. Although I did that in my first profession, so maybe I wouldn't be awful at it. No. <laughs> um, where else do we want to go with this one? I don't know. We have any mailbag stuff, or do we want to talk about baseball? Or you know, well, we I, we could talk more, baseball for a minute thing. before we go to mailbag. Sure. Okay, let's do that. Yeah. I, no, uh, wherever you I were going to go. 
Yeah, okay, great. Uh, one of the things, my first take from Tim, he did reveal something. You know, Tim doesn't reveal much, but he did reveal something in his first, uh, I guess, with your first interview with him on day one of the practice beginning about pitching when he said that basically half of the staff uh, are going to be treated uh, as starters and the other half as bullpen guys. And I kind of went through that and kind of gave my guess of the eight that I would say are the starters. And you tell me your list. This is my question of the week for you. I have the eight guys being Colton, Futrell, Hunter Owen, Dukanich, Let's see, Bryce Cunningham, five, uh, Patrick Riley, six, seven, and eight. Help me out here. I had it in my head, but I, who would your other two? Laboki. Laboki, yes. Doolin's injured a little bit still, or not, not quite ready. He may be the eighth one. If not, uh, maybe Grayson Moore. Uh, did you leave Nick Maldo, Maldonado out on purpose? I have Maldonado as a bullpen guy. I have him being the guy that comes in after four or five and tries to finish it off. Yeah, I could see uh, them training him as a starter, though, in, in terms of ramping him up for longer outings. Because I asked him directly – I think I did. I think I asked him directly about his role, and I don't know that he gave a definite answer – Point is, they will train guys as starters, even if they're going to use them in the pen. And Maldonado has started and gone in long relief before. So training him as a starter would make sense to me, whether they actually do that or whether they use him in another way. Right. And I would think I would think your closing role would still be Schultz and possibly Ryan Ginther from the left side would be your late inning guys if Ginther has improved as much. And I know Grayson Carter, if he can control uh, his 100-mile-an-hour mile fastball, We'll get some more work this year. Tell me if I'm wrong about this. Maybe maybe this is me looking for clarity, because I think as a writer, we're always looking for clarity, and the truth is we don't always have it. I remember his last interview before Oklahoma State last year, and I asked him about pitching. And I had the same thing happen when I talked to him privately, too. He would use the word uncertainty a lot. And now that can mean right. a lot of things, right? That could mean, oh boy, uh, we don't have much, or that could mean we got a lot of talent, just nobody stepped up. That could mean we don't know, we like the parts, we don't know where they're going to fit. But it yeah, was the right. lack of qualifications that went around it, and that took me aback a year ago because the assumption going in I think that everybody would have made was that they would have Christian Little in there. They would have Patrick Riley in there because those guys at that point in time were being mentioned as top half of the first round guys for the 2023 draft. And you figured McIlvain was sort of a logical number three based on his history when they didn't have that clarity and that ended up being fairly prophetic for the rest of the year. I guess that told us something in hindsight. I thought that Tim's demeanor and the way he talked about the team, and I would even poke around privately, like, are you guys worried about the infield? And I didn't get the sense that that they were. They might not know all the answers, and I'm not even saying that this is right. I mean, they could get in this, and we could be saying – 
two months from now, you know, they just don't have enough hitters. And this season is going nowhere unless they win two to one ball games. That may end up being the case. But I thought the way that he handled that conversation in the main media interview, and as I went just to check around and ask other guys, hey, what are you seeing and hearing? I didn't hear a lot of calls for alarm. And from Tim, I heard a lot of, hey, this is an old and mature team. And those I know are the kind of teams that he feels like are a danger when they're sitting in the other dugout. Absolutely. I think you're 100% right on all that. Um, But you can't predict what happened with Carter Young. You can't predict what happened between the ears with Christian Little. Um, You can't predict how poor Parker Nolan was for most of the year. Uh, You know, and I think that's those were guys he was heavily counting on to be to not have to worry about, and they turned out to be worries. And you know, and we talked about the pitching, and 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 it's the same thing. I can I can probably tell you what I think right now would be the position players, but I can't tell you every one of them. Like third and first, Parker Nolan's going to be at one of those places, in my opinion. And then I think shortstop's going to wind up being Diaz. Uh, but second, and then either third, first, we don't know. Catcher will be Bulger. The outfield, I think Bradfield and Shrek maybe in right. Left field. You want to say Hewitt, but something tells me it's not going to be Hewitt. Uh, Matthew Polk's got to be in there somewhere. I think he's really, really good. Uh, I think he, he's going to be the player, the, my surprise player of the year. I think Matthew Polk's going to be a I've watched him in the cages and stuff. He's he's good. He's really good. Yeah. Um, the, the other guy you left out of that is Vastai, which I get the feeling they really yeah. like him. I I might need to go further on that, and I might end up being wrong. But uh, that was a name that was brought up a time or two when I was talking to people off the record. Yeah, and, and, and let me ask you this. I've also heard some great things about the freshman, R.J. Austin. Yeah. That he might crack Somehow, I think he will end up starting. I bet you what happens. I think because I think you've nailed. I think the corner infielders would be Austin and Noland. I just not. I'm not sure that they've always put Nolan on third and had a higher opinion of his defense than I think the fan base and probably I have had. They feel like they feel like they trusted him. I mean, look, he was their starting third baseman as a freshman in 2020. Um, right. The arm is unorthodox, uh, but they, they have made the case for years that it generally works. Uh, sometimes we saw that publicly where it didn't. But no, no one is right. a little bit of a sleeper, too, because he really hit pretty well late yeah, in the season. The he got benched, and then he came back, and I think he had a really good series in Corvallis, if I remember that correctly. Yeah, he had, he was on the beam uh, there toward the end of the season, the last three or four weeks. You're, you're correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess Bastein or Bastine would be second base at, at the way we're talking there. I think uh, so. Left field, left field being the only other question. Will it be a, you know, uh, the, J.D. Rogers had a great fall from what I understand. Yeah, Ro- know, I, Rogers I, came up to me privately. I asked, do you, is there a sleeper or somebody on this team? And that was the name that was brought up. The other one I'd bring up is T.J. McKenzie. Because that kid has yeah. bought his time. He's been a good teammate. And every time I see that kid play, he hits. Yeah, I think he's either going to be your DH or uh, maybe left field. Yeah, it is. 
I don't ever remember a year like this one. No, it's a little different. You've got a good mix, I think, of young and old. Uh, I do love the pitching. I think, you know, you don't have a rocker or a lighter, but you you don't have a rocker or a lighter, but when are you going to have rockers and lighters? You know, that's, we were spoiled by that. That's not going to happen again, possibly. But yeah, I, but I think overall staff, it's really, really good. Oh, they they have depth. What they have, this is what they really lacked against Mississippi State. That like if if they had one or two more just serviceable arms, like if you yeah. could have cloned Chris McIlvain two more times, I think they got another banner. But they yeah. just ran oh, into I'm, a place where the difference between pitcher five and pitcher six or six and seven, or whatever it was, it felt like it dropped off a cliff. And chasm. Yeah, they end up pushing, and as a result, they end up pushing Rocker too hard. They they might have done the same thing with Lighter over the course of the season, although they did give him a rest. It just, those are, you don't appreciate that kind of guy until you don't have them, and that's why they didn't win the whole thing two years ago. I agree with you. You know, I go back to 19 when they won it all, one of the biggest keys, and I think the most underrated guy on the team, a pitcher, was Mason Hickman. Oh, Mason no was doubt. Solid. He was so solid. Didn't get a lot of the credit, but man, was he good. And I, I think that's the type of guy that someone like a Laboki or, uh, or Doolin, if he gets completely healthy, could be that type of guy on this staff. That team had eight or nine really good pitchers. Um, yes. They had enough. I mean, Ra- Raby was the guy at the end that was kind of shaky. But, like, heck, even if they had Patrick Raby, then maybe maybe it's different uh, in, in 2021. That's a lot of hypotheticals there. But I think this team might be deeper, like, 1 to to 12 or 13. I think once you get to, to 12 and 13, um, you, you get huge diminishing returns, although that's – Kind of the way the Mississippi State won it that year was they just had so many guys they could keep throwing them out there. And if this guy can't yeah. get out, then okay, let's go to the next guy. A lot of them were remarkable is a little bit harsh, uh, but but they had enough serviceable guys where like that they could throw one of them out there. And he wasn't going to walk the first five guys. Right. I mean, you look at the back end of this staff. There's what 16 pitchers, maybe 17, and I'm yeah. still confused on. One- do we still have 38 players or 35 players I mean, that are eligible? I thought it was 35 this year. I think the limit is 35. I do think they had 38 last I checked, but I'm not reporting that could be wrong. I haven't actually gone back and physically counted it. I'm just basing that off what people have told me as they've looked at it. No, it's still 38, but I guess my question is this. 35, can the other three guys practice with the team and not play? I don't think they're allowed to do that, Arden. You can get medical red shirts for some of those guys, I think. And a lot of times there's there's almost inevitably somebody that fits that. But I don't know all the rules on what you can and can't do with the team at that point. I'm thinking Horn and the other freshman pitcher, can't remember his name at the moment, would be the two guys that are odd man out that are like the number 16 and 15 pitchers. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I haven't even begun to dig in on that end yet. So I've been digging. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the next two weeks is when I start doing all that. And it's a little bit early because there's still a lot of stuff to be determined. But that's what right. 
that, that's what the, the first two weeks of February are going to be for me. By the way, just a, a, a note here. I, I will, but my wife and I are going to Texas for the series. So I'd be glad nice. to give you, I don't know if you're going or not, but, uh, I'll be down there for those three. That'll be fun. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not. I have, I have no travel budget. So, um, and, and kids with games too. That's the other part of it. But anyway, yeah, that's. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome to ride with us. We can split McDonald's or something. <laughs> yeah, if I if I can get away, I'd, I'd give that some thought. I don't know how feasible that's that same. That's that, well, that's the same thing for Omaha. Um, I've never actually been in Omaha when they clinched it. Oh, really? I've never been. I've never. No, I just I run out of money at some point. It's it's all coming out of the out of the family budget. So. Uh, I've ne- I've never been to a I've never been to a final game in Omaha. I've been to I've been to several game twos. Um, I went the year Rocker beat Michigan in 2019. I was there. In fact, I thought I was going to be there for them to clinch it in 2015. Uh, they lost oh. game two to Virginia. Yeah, and let's see. 2014, I couldn't go at all. I went to the early part of that one. And exhausted by money there, and then they ran into rainouts. Uh, so I think I ended up going for. I was going to be out there for two or three games, and then the rain pushed it back to where we we caught one, and then stayed in Omaha for a couple of days without baseball because it just kept raining, and finally had to come home. And then 2021, I couldn't go out there at all because Mississippi State fans uh, bought up all the hotels and everything, and it just was crazy expensive. <laughs> So I was like, I ah, passed. Did you go? In, were you there in eleven? The first? No, my then? daughter was born in the middle of the College World Series. Eight. Oh, never going okay. to happen. Okay, okay. Um, well, well, we'll give you a pass on that one, Chris. Yeah, yeah, I think <laughs> I think that's fair. Um, <laughs> it may not be fair. We'll see about that. Are you ready for that? Let's do it. This is like a fire them all edition of the mailbag, almost. But um, <laughs> all right, the mailbag is presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at six one five eight four six sixty two hundred. See what your rights are and if they can help. I'll just go in order. Well, I'll start with the first one here. Who made the decision to terminate Stephanie White? Candace Lee or Chancellor Deermeyer. I've got my version of that. I want to hear if it squares with yours. Well, ultimately, Daniel Deermeyer. Uh, Candace was the one that hired her. There, I, I was working at Vanderbilt when they hired Stephanie, and there was a committee formed uh, with Candace being the head oh, of the committee. And the old committee. <laughs> and uh, had That, that committee knew about as much about basketball as I know about Russian ballet. I mean, it would be like putting me as the head chef at a restaurant. I mean, I can make chili and spaghetti. That's all I can make. So we're going to call it the chili spaghetti restaurant. I mean, to me, it was, it was senseless. I have no idea. It was like, they didn't even take it seriously. And I don't get that. I I don't, I don't understand. That's, that, that was a, that's a, that's a uh, job waiting for someone like Shay Ralph. And by the way, congratulations on her first SEC win yesterday. Yeah. This year, those been through a ton. Anyway, uh, I, I never understood why how they arrived at that one. I, I'm sorry, I don't. Oh, I've said this on the pod before. The word coming out. This is not revisionist history. I was, you know, hearing it 
some of this, the, the word coming out of that is they weren't looking for a basketball coach. Obviously which is not. Kind of what they got. Um, yep. yep. Okay, door fan six. What will it take for Stack to be fired? What will it take for Stack to stay? Uh, in my opinion, if you go eight ten, he's here because then you can say he improved every year he's been here. Anything less than that, you have every reason to to go in another direction. I think it's going to be more dependent on if Liam and Dort get back and we're able to win a couple of games that maybe we wouldn't win otherwise. And if we have a good showing in the SEC tournament, people will always remember how you finish. So, you know, there's some variables in there. But, you know, 8 is the magic number to me. If he gets to 8, then he's back. I'm going to ask you something sort of semi-related. Let's say Jerry Stackhouse is here for 10 years. What's that look like at the end of 10? Uh, first of all, it's hard for me to even fathom that because I don't think Jerry's – It's not going to happen, but just for fun. Right. Uh, just for fun, uh, you're, uh, you're a average of 7-11 and 11 basketball team and an average of – you're a bubble NIT, bubble in, kind of what we've been this last year and this year. That's what it would end up as. Yeah, I think if he if he goes ten years, I think sneaks into one or two NCAA tournaments. Maybe they hit it right with a group of veterans and get like an eight seed one year. I think he would get there once, but I I think any more than two would probably be pushing it. I think I they mean, are what that. yeah. I, I think that seven eleven is kind of his. He he's going to get more out of he Jerry. I think could make a team into a six-win team. I just don't ever see him putting together a team that wins 13 or 14 in the SEC and is like a, you know, a top a top four seed in the NCAA tournament kind of thing. Yeah, I, you know, and, and this year, we're sitting here talking like this, but they're, we're ahead of six teams right now in the SEC. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, no, no, I think that'll change, but I still think people are saying they're not going to get out of Wednesday. I wouldn't bet against that because they, they're going. It, it's going to be. I would be very surprised at this point if they finish behind any of South Carolina, Ole Miss, or LSU. Now, getting ahead of that last one, Mississippi State is going to. I know they're one and seven. They're going to get a lot better. Uh, Georgia's been a little faulty lately, and they I guess they win the tiebreaker with Georgia. Should that wind up tied, Georgia's got a one-game lead in the overall right now. Um, even without – I wouldn't be shocked if they if they just – just miss playing that Wednesday night game. Well, I, I think, you know, you're already got a one-up on Arkansas as well. They're setting the same record we have. Yeah, but I think they're going to wind up with a better record. I could be wrong about that, but that is correct. Uh, And Mississippi State, I think, is fool's gold. I mean, TCU loses another starter during their game. Yeah. If they play that game in times, TCU wins at nine. I think that's a little fool's gold there. Mississippi State hit three Saturday like they hadn't hit all year. Um, But anyway, you know, and one quick note on that Big 12 SEC, I think we found out how weak our league is Saturday. Tennessee and Missouri – only two that played well. Uh, and, that, I mean, you know, basically could have easily gone two and eight in that thing. 
You you were right. You said you didn't think the league was as good as everybody thought. I thought from the beginning of the year for for about the first six weeks. I thought this is a really terrific league. That I was I was wrong about that. It's a good league. Well, it's got two potential one seeds at the top. But right now, there's no more than two teams in this league that are guaranteed to make the NCAA tournament. No, and I and I you know just when you when your bell cow an Alabama gets absolutely embarrassed against a team that's two and six from the Big yeah. Twelve, you know that's that's inexcusable there. Um, like like I said, and then Kentucky, I thought Kentucky would win because they've been playing really well. Uh, I thought they beat Kansas, but Kansas was in kind of a desperate mode too. So I don't know. I, I just think that the the league doesn't have anybody except maybe Tennessee and Alabama. They can get out of that first weekend. Yeah, I think you might be right. Um, okay, Papa Hick 4 VU, is Stackhouse even on the hot seat as far as the administration is concerned? If not, how bad do things have to get in order for him to land on the hot seat? Oh, I think he is, and I think I think he knows that. Um, again, what we talked about, Jerry's a very good X's and O's coach. I, I love the Southern stuff he runs. And I, I and that part of his game, Jerry's very good. And you can ask coaches around this league; they'll tell you that, that, that we're hard to prepare for offensively. But I thought our defense—I think our defense is not near as good as I thought it could be. I think we need to play more zone. I just do. I, I know you don't rebound well out of the zone, but I just feel like there's a lot of times that because of the quickness factor that we're not we're not good enough to beat those teams without playing a little zone or mixing it in more yeah i'm with you i think it'll be the chancellor's call at the end of the day um i I think boring like you said probably eight wins my my i'm not reporting but my guess is they would make a change and it's been interesting to watch the last couple of weeks i cannot remember if we talked about this on pod last week but he's in damage control mode and I'm not saying that's bad. I think he's doing things he should have done a long time ago. But the unblocking of the fans, I think I asked somebody, he has got ties to some media firm out of Chicago. And I even know the name of the guy that runs it, but I can't think of it at the time being. And somebody told me, I'll bet you what is happening is they are giving him guidance on, okay, you're going to need to do something with your image in order to get the next job or keep the one that you've got. And that's going to include you know, this, this, and this. And you've started to see him do stuff that somebody should have advised him on two years ago. Listen, I wouldn't doubt that, you know, and I, and I go back to Kevin Stallings and his, you know, we're, we're all flawed as humans. And, and, you know, Kevin had his shortcut. Absolutely. For, yeah. You know, so, so I, I'm not going to, throw rocks living in a glass house uh i'm sure if i was a head coach i would have gotten thrown out in the vcu game i'd have probably gotten thrown out in the uh, i don't know what game it was maybe it was at arkansas i would have probably gotten thrown out in that one so i'm not you know that part of it i really don't have a problem with um i i just think you're correct in your assumption that someone has gotten to him and uh you know i i'm, I'm all for giving someone a second chance but is it too little too late yeah, I mean, he just hasn't earned enough goodwill. I really do think that that grambling game was the point of no return for a lot of people. Well, just the approach to non-conference has been my problem. The grambling game, yes, absolutely. But just the approach. 
I just don't feel like it's almost like you roll the ball out there and you're trying to figure out you're using it as a preseason instead of games that count. These are not exhibition games, as he knows by now. But I think that's been the case since he's gotten here. Last couple questions. These are unrelated to anything current event-wise. Um, and Arbador, how were Denard and Franklin alike, and how were they different? They were very much alike in a lot of ways. Uh, Personality-wise, different. But Jerry was more of a uh, – you knew exactly where you stood, uh, whereas James played some mind games with folks. And I'm not talking about just players, staff members, coaches. Um, Media members. Kind of <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everything was kind of scripted with James, uh, whereas Gennardo was just a hardcore New York guy. You know, his dad, I've said this before, I loved his dad. Uh, his dad was a New York City cop, walked a beat, has some incredible stories, by the way, I'll tell you sometime. But anyway, very similar, uh, except for James uh, did more things to promote James. Okay, last one. Raiders 1967. He's got two. First one is, can you share any pre-internet signing day stories that produced unexpectedly good or bad news? The, the couple of them, one of them dates back to the 80s. It's always been one of my favorites. Um, there was a couple of kids that we were recruiting from the same school. I'm not going to give the name, obviously. Uh, but we wound up signing the wrong one. <laughs> if that can happen. Believe it or not, it did happen. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that happened in the 80s. And then uh, the recruiting of Chris Young when he came to that Vanderbilt. That was crazy. Was awesome. When we got the news on Chris Young, it was fantastic. You know, we, we thought we were going to lose him at the last minute to Alabama. And when we got the news on Chris Young that he was coming to Vanderbilt, that was probably one of the biggest recruiting scores in Vanderbilt history. And then he was just okay at best. Absolutely. Yeah. Gave that. Good kid. Great kid. Love him. But just he w- didn't reach his potential. Last one from Raiders, 1967, and the last one in the mailbag. Uh, Vanderbilt received its sixth commitment from Tennessee and fourth from Middle Tennessee yesterday. Can you please discuss Coach Lee's recruiting in Tennessee and compare with Derek Mason's and his coaching staff? Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I mean, it's, it's senseless to even compare it to Derek Mason's. Um, one of the main reasons we got Jawan Williams because at the time Jawan Williams was dating Derek's daughter. Okay. I'll go ahead and throw that in there. Now, if you want to compare it to someone, I compare it to James Franklin in a favorable way. James was really starting to get some inroads. He came within a whisker of getting Jalen Hurd. Uh, we also know the other kids that came uh, from around the Nashville area, but I would compare it more to Franklin than Derek Mason and uh, in, a, in a good way. Clark is making some great inroads. What was the story on Derek Barnett? I was thinking that really had a shot at him on signing day. For I don't remember if it was that they backed away because he'd not shown more interest or what the deal was. I feel like there was a Derek Barnett story there too, but I cannot there was. think of what it was. There was. Here's the deal. I, I can tell you the two stories. The one on Jalen Hurd, I was actually at breakfast. James Franklin had me set up a breakfast with he, uh, James Thrillkill, uh, not James Thrillkill, Kevin Thrillkill, his assistant, myself, and two big donors that I was 
you know, trying, James wanted to meet them and see what they could do to help the program. So I set up a breakfast at, uh, over off of Division Street. I can't remember, Nashville Deli. Okay, we're sitting at breakfast and James gets a, fo- a phone call and his mood changed completely. And then he, when, when he got up and actually like went to go to the restroom, he had Thrill Kill follow him. And I could see the anger on his face. And when he sat back down, he goes, well, Heard just committed to UT. He goes, the kid's been lying to me the whole time. So oh, that, man. Was one, that was the thing. I was there when that actually happened. And then the second thing was with Barnett, in the equipment room, I don't know, you've never been there, but it was kind of like a great place for people to gather. They'd come in and shoot the bull. And uh, I had a little round table in there. They called it Luke's Diner. And one of the coaches would come in. They'd just sit down just to clear their head. And the day before signing day, one of our assistant coaches came in and said, well, we're not getting Barnett. He's going to UT. And uh, and someone said, I said something. I don't remember what I said. And he said, well, just just put it this way. We don't have enough money to compete with it. Yeah, and I think Barnett's stock had really fallen off. Um, and usually when a guy does that, they don't end up being a big-time player. But obviously that was not the case with him. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Any parting thoughts before we end the show today? No, the next two we got to look at Alabama. It's going to be either, I think, I don't think there's any close. Uh, it's either going to be similar to A&M or it's going to be a, our worst loss of the year. If Alabama plays their A game and is raining threes, then we're, we're not going to be able to compete. Uh, and then Ole Miss is a must, must win. That's simple. Hey, Luke, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next week. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk, Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group, and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at vandysports.com. Follow me at chrislee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.